Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I'm just enjoying a beautiful, sunny spring day, and I'm sure that if you listen carefully, you can hear birds chirping in the background and just various outdoor noises, and that is very intentional. I'm just actually sitting outside as I record this intro, just because it's a lovely day, and I want to be outside, and... uh for you know those of us who are living here in uh, in Ohio this is our sort of our first big break in the winter blues and so i figured that maybe some of you guys who are listening haven't had that yet this year and so i'm just sharing a little bit of this wonderful outdoor bird chirping sun shining ambient noise with you guys as i record this little intro now in episode 41 we take a little bit of time to talk about what it really means and what it says to be using controllers and using them in large-scale environments like festivals and large clubs. And when a guitarist comes on stage, he wants to play his own guitar. He wants his own tool to perform his own art. Should DJing be any different? The DJ industry has changed over time where club standard or, quote, industry standard means less and less and people are bringing their own setups to shows. Sometimes this is out of necessity. For example, this is what I learned on. And sometimes it's actually a prerequisite of their type of performance. So for example, if you play like stripped apart techno, something like that, you might be heavily reliant on something like tractor remix decks for your sound. And it might be a problem for you to play on a strict Pioneer Nexus setup. In episode 41, we go over the complaints on either side of the fence. Some people say that a DJ should learn to use the real deal. The benefit of having an industry standard is that there is a universal setup that touring DJs can use and have a solid and familiar setup when they get to the gig. Yet some acts, like DJ Craze as we give as an example in the episode, tour with their own entire setups anyway. It's a much different climate than 10 plus years ago where Tex and a Pioneer Mixer were what you mixed on, period. As a jumping off point for the conversation, Tripp brings in a recent article published on Magnetic Mag, which is titled, What It Says to Be Using a Controller in the Club. Now, just as a little side note, we use the article in this episode to stimulate the conversation and not to tear it apart or anything like that, and we want to thank Magnetic Mag for publishing this article. Now, while we understand why the industry is in the state it's in and why some people bring their own setups to play in front of large crowds, we also get the point that's being made in the article. Quote, No matter how talented you are on a controller, coming into a major nightclub and asking the technician, other DJ, or promoter to move the gear that's already set up just to plug in your S4 is seen as an amateur move. For one thing, it's a hassle for them, because controllers aren't very small, as I'm sure you know. Sometimes they even put the controller directly on top of the CDJ slash DJM layout, but that makes it harder for the next DJ to smoothly come in and out of your set. End quote. We understand the frustrations of sound techs and stage managers when it comes to catering to individual specific needs. Tony even said that he recently worked at a festival where some writers required a classic CDJ2000 setup versus a CDJ2000 Nexus setup. So there were two nearly identical setups in order to accommodate the headliners. It kind of makes one wonder how far do we want to take this. 
The conversation also moves into related topics such as the way that geographic location and the size and strength of your local scene might affect the way that you make your purchasing decisions when it comes to DJ gear. We even speculate as to how the accessibility of varied and cheaper hardware may have allowed a revitalization of smaller scenes. So, does the use of controllers in clubs and large-scale festivals make us look like amateurs? Or is this just a sign of the times? What is the way forward? All this and more in this week's episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Let's be honest, everyone starts somewhere. Learning to DJ is genuinely easier to do when using a controller. Not to mention, buying a pair of CDJs and a DJM will run you around $6,000. Starting there is almost impossible unless you have a ridiculous amount of disposable income. So you learn to DJ on a controller in your bedroom, and that's what you're comfortable with. I get that. But major club owners and promoters will definitely see it differently. I'm not talking about your town's local hotspot. If you don't live in a major city, then for the most part, this doesn't even matter much. In rural areas or even bars, the promoter could care less what you use to DJ. You could just be using your your laptop trackpad for all they care. But what happens when you want to take your performances to the next level and play on bigger stages in front of larger crowds and for more money? What do nightclub owners, promoters, and other DJs think when you ask to set up your Newmark NS7, Tractor S4, or Pioneer DDJ-SX? And those are the higher-end controllers. They think you look like an amateur. So they're making the, the case, like, learn CDJs or else be be an amateur. Or right. be I, I kind of remember, be, though. Be perceived as one. Perceived because as, they even use yeah. Zed as an example in this, where it says he's notorious for saying, I want to use my S4. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, great. Um, but th- they kind of make this. Yeah, but he's Zed. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, That was exactly what I was going to say. It, regardless if it's. Who it is, you know, when it comes to those, I'll tell you this, when it comes to a lot of those tours, if it's not the headliner setup, then they don't want it, which is normally the four CDJs and the Pioneer Nexus, which, right. whatever, but I don't understand why a club owner would think that because as a guitarist comes in on, on a stage, he's going to want to play his guitar, you know yeah. what I mean? He's not going to want to play the guitar that's sitting there. You know, it's it's his way of performing his art. He needs his tools to perform his art. Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- I think a lot of that comes from sort of legacy thinking because it used to be that everybody played on what was provided by the venue and you mm-hmm. dealt with it, and that's not really the climate we're in now. That's exactly and- where I was going to go. Is that we DJing has always been a little bit different in that regard because for the longest time, Pioneer had the crown title of being industry standard gear mm-hmm. along with techniques. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the turntable kind of not died out, but, you know, as it's as it started to get phased out in favor of the CDJs, well, okay, now Pioneer almost had that lock on, the, on that title. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get those higher-end controllers like your SZ and your RZ and all that stuff where they're trying to keep that, that kind of mentality... Like here is still the flagship model that you can, you know, buy this for two thousand dollars instead of six or eight thousand dollars for the mm-hmm. full setup. But it'll translate. But, it, but the that skill set and the layout will translate over to, you know, if somebody's got that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the problem is that as all of these controllers are coming out in much more budget friendly ranges, mm-hmm. that the the whole idea of industry standard stuff is null and void for the most part. Right. 
I mean, at least in our market. I mean, yeah. the only time I ever see industry standard stuff is when I play our shows. Right. Well, I guess, I mean, it depends on at what level. Like, so, Tony, you do production for some larger scale shows sometimes. I mean, how how often do you run into that on like a like a festival stage or something will, where somebody wants say, to use their Vestax VCI 100 we and have, you have to make well, room for it? We have a festival coming up. The writers, let's see, there, there's, on main stage, there's, Two setups. One's a CDJ 2000 setup. One's a CDJ 2000 Nexus setup. Okay, so you have three CDJ 2000s and a Pioneer 900, and setup B is the Nexus because in some of the writers says Nexus only, some of the writers say 2000s only. You're kidding. There's no, not at all. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Can we can we put a pin that for one second? Sure. Why why would somebody be unwilling to play on the Nexus setup? I really. Don't know other than there's one button <laughs> called a sink. I don't know though. I, I don't know. You think like they're biased could be there, against it could it be, having um, that? Like they? I don't know if the the is the record box different on the 2000s than it is in Nexus. I'm not really really so. sure about yeah. that. Um, I think everything pretty much translates. It's just it won't have the waveforms and all that. But like right, that's really interesting. I, I had no idea. And then there's, that, there's have you run into that before, or is that, is that um, new for you? No, I mean most most writers will, you know. Last year they were cool with two thousands. They did say two thousand nexuses, but if you only have the two thousands, cool. This year it's kind of moving towards the nexus, mm-hmm. you know. And the two thousands are kind of, but a lot of people really don't care because they do pretty much the same thing. I right. like I, I don't know about the record box side of it though. You know, that's that, and maybe the sync button is the only thing, but. And then there's um, one set of Technique 1200s and a uh, a TTM 57 rain mixer, um, but you know that's all outsourced through the production company. Yeah. So there is, I take that back. There is one DJ that's bringing in his own Z2, um, but he's he's a DJ for one of the headliners. Yeah. So, um, so that's another interesting thing, like. Uh, a but, lot of people say that the the benefit of having the these industry standards is so that the the professionals, the big headliners or whatever festival, can go anywhere and play on that system and know it. But then you've got people like Craze who plays mm-hmm. on his setup. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got his Z two and his techs and, and and so eighty percent of the time though, if you bring DJ Craze to a show, that show's gonna be based around DJ Craze. Sure. You know what I mean? Um festivals we can do that because we have so much more room to work with. There's um, there's change over time, so I can throw out a pair of Technique 1200 and a Rain TTM 57 in probably five minutes. You know what I mean? And that change over period, so we have that that freedom to be able to do that. But when it comes to a club, it's a whole different ballgame because you only have that small area or DJ booth to yeah. work with, unless it, the club has a stage, which most don't. So um, maybe this uh, this is. This article's from uh, magneticmag.com, by the way. Yep. Um, maybe this is coming from more of a, a nightclub type perspective where uh, space is limited mm-hmm. to whatever is built in, you know, to the to the room. I completely understand that 100%. So, but like a, a lot of what the, the thing was trying to drive home was uh, that by not learning to use quote-unquote industry standard equipment that you look like an amateur. So 
I, I think, and, and what, what I found odd is that this wasn't just posted by one person. Like I saw this the day that that article was written, it went mm -hmm. all over the place. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it went viral or not, but it certainly seemed that way in my feed, mm -hmm. you know, because people were reposting it all over the place. Yeah, and, I, I saw mean, it a few times. Yeah, we're talking. It's very controversial. Yeah, we're not, we're, and, and not even, you know, just lower level DJs or mid level DJs. I mean, we're talking some of my friends that are headliners mm -hmm. were were uh posting this and I'm like, wow. Like I I see it and and I understand where it comes from. Um but yeah, being that we're not in that market, you know, like your New York, LA, Chicago, where mm -hmm. every nightclub is going to have four CDJ Nexus with a DJM, right. you know, 900. And, you know, and somebody's going to write in and say, well, my club doesn't have <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we definitely can't speak on the clubs that are in our area. Right, right. Because realistically, in our area, there's one club. Right. You know, yeah. um, bigger cities will have it, and right. it's industry standard but so so one of the things that they kind of you know talk about there is you know the the interruption to the booth and the and the yeah. show and, and and the space that you know the limited space that can be in the booths for these larger cities so let's just assume that you know if we're just talking about those larger markets where this sentiment may apply mm -hmm. do we think that's still valid like it was the uh, what right. I, like was this too was this too pretentious, pretentious of, a, of, a, of, a of an post? article to yeah. write let's, without let's, taking all of those types of things into yeah. account? Because, you know, just from a, a space point of view, yeah, if you're going to a booth and there's even just two CDJs and a DJM, but you come in with an SX2, you know... There's not enough room. There's not <laughs> enough room, and it does the same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, so you don't have some performance pads, whatever, like, you know, yeah. but you still have hot cues and all that stuff. Have uh, So... On on changeovers and such, like I, I love how when you know we as 3DM do shows or you know more of the techno tech house type shows, I feel all those DJs blend into each other, next set after next set, and they all mix into each other. But I also think you know on a lot of these big room shows, it's really cool that there's still like a, a few minute changeover, whether there's anything moved or not. It's you know this DJ goes off. Lights kind of come down, you know. People are getting excited. And that anticipation is is building. It's a little more concert style, yeah, right, right. absolutely. So, like, I really like that effect. So, if even if a, a stage manager was to and, and the or production anybody comes onto the stage and starts like you know moving stuff around, the lights come down, everybody's waiting for that. It's that's pretty cool too. Sometimes, yeah, I know? agree. Um, yeah, because I mean, coming from the old rave days, mm -hmm. you know, then yeah, that was that was kind of cool that unless there was like a jarring switch of genre, you know, mm. from techno to say drum and bass or mm -hmm. something, but even like breakbeat DJs, you know, often blended in with other four, four, you know, guys and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, all that was, was really cool. But to your point, I, you know, it I think it kind of depends on the setting. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, it, for the club stuff, I mean, I've played in a lot of clubs with really tight, cramped booths, too. And it's a good point to make. I just wonder if there's anybody out there, which I'm sure there is, that are like, you know, who the f*** is this guy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, you know, who is this guy? And, and you know, what, 
like what what's the what's the main point you're driving mm-hmm. here because if i can do all of these things regardless of whether it's on an sx or if it's on a you know an ns7 or see the whole cdj you know setup if the, if the outcome if the output is the same then you know what's the point you're trying to drive well let's uh let's read a little further down because we i mean we made it pretty far down in here so we could probably keep going. It says it's true, plain and simple. No matter how talented you are on a controller, coming into a major nightclub and asking the technician, other DJ, or promoter to move the gear that's already set up just to plug in your S4 is seen as an amateur move. For one thing, it's a hassle for them because controllers aren't very small, as I'm sure you know. You know. Sometimes they even put the c- controller directly on top of the CDJ DJM layout. God, that gets on my nerves no, me, when I that see makes it. it oh my for God. the next DJ let to me, smoothly come in at the end of your set. Let me yeah. let me say something right there. From again, from from a production aspect, your night should be set up before your doors open. So any said DJ you have on the lineup, you should know what they're playing on prior to the show. And if it is Shouldn't a controller. Be a and in that big, you make sure that space is available, but you also make sure that the DJ is there or knows to be there before the night's open mm-hmm. to set their rig up and it's in place so they can step up and play. I, you know, there, there's, there's obviously times, local nights, whatever, some guys can't make it out till late because they have a life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but. You know, you try and get everything set up prior to the night. This is what the modern sound tech has to do now. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of. I, this might be a struggle for a lot of like, I mean, there's a very stereotypical sound guy, right? Like he's like the late 50s, early 60s guy with long hair. He's been doing it for 30 years, recording rock bands and doing the whole thing. And he's been through the first wave of DJs coming through and it was the one set up and that's it. Mm-hmm. He's not coming at this as a DJ. He's just getting pissed because everybody thinks they can bring their own stuff and, and, and everybody's coming into DJing from different angles now. Right. Right. So it's just a, it's just a different story, and I think I think it's that's a great point. I mean, it's it's your job as the promoter or the the sound technician or who, whoever's in that role in your situation mm-hmm. to have planned this out already, right? Um, so that you know whether or not it's going to be a problem, just like you would for a band. Or there's there's times where I've played a stage and I could not play on the headliner's rig because. I had something a little different. Well, all my little different was was two USB cords in the back of the CDJs into a hub into my computer, but I'm not messing with their rig, their setup or anything. I'm still using their rig. You know, they yeah. just they wouldn't allow that. They would put me on a table to the side. Yeah. You mm. know, it's yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's do do you find that to be frustrating to to deal with those little technicalities on riders? Yes, it's very frustrating, you know. I mean, um, but is, is at the that same the same time, it's always been? No, it's not always been that way. No. But at the same time, I mean, you have a full like corporation of people that are making these rules, and it's for you know, it's for said performers' insurance. You know what I mean? You don't want the 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 headline. You don't want your headliner to go out there and something accidentally mess up, you know, because yeah. it just looks bad on him, and then. You know, it goes down the line from the tour manager, tour manager to to manager and agent to so on and so on. You know, because obviously everybody there with their cameras, you know, one thing messes up and people are recording that thing's up on Google and it's oh, going yeah. viral. That oh look, this DJ isn't doing this or ha 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 ha. You know, 
Um, so I get it, but it's, yeah, it's definitely frustrating. Yeah. I can remember when I was promoting, uh, more often <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> so, some of the writers can get a little, uh, humorous to the, uh, the inexperienced person, mm -hmm. you know? So like I've seen some where, you know, people get really specific about some silly stuff and we've all heard the, the, the cliche, you know, I want a bowl full of nothing but, you know, 3000 green M&Ms or whatever <laughs> that stuff is. But like, and I've never encountered anything that drastic, but I've seen some stuff that's pretty particular. I need four fruit punch Gatorades, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. three, three bottles of uh, like Nevion water. And, you know, like, <laughs> um, but like, I've seen other stuff where it's like, you know, everybody is, is always explicitly states some type of gear. So like everybody says this brand, this model or higher, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, if you've got two technique 1200s and a, and a DJM 600 or higher, that'll work. I can make mm -hmm. that work. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and that kind of stuff I totally get because, you know, I've shown up at places you know, where it, it, you know, you think you're walking into something that has the, again, in air quotes, industry standard equipment, but it's, you know, two Gemini XL 502s and, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, some kind of a, you know, a 20 year old Newmark mixer where one channel is like, <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know, too, um, what's, what's kind of irritating, like in a, in a place like this where, you know, Dayton is a very, hustle city when Absolutely. it comes to this scene right yeah. it's very grassroots and so it it affects the way i don't know if you guys have this problem or not but it, it's affected the way that i've bought gear because like i really was interested in getting like a pair of like what if i decide cdj 900 nexuses are really nice and that's what i want to get but really, it makes more sense for me to have 2,000 Nexuses because if I throw this show or if Tony throws this show or whatever, then we have it and the show will go on. Right. Whereas even though the 900 Nexus is arguably the same thing, right, right. <laughs> if it's not on their rider, they're going to see that and say no, and then you're at a standstill. Right. And I kind of hate that I even think about it that way. Right, right. You know, like I should be able to buy whatever I want to buy, and, and I do, but it bothers me. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, and for anybody else out there <laughs> who, uh, uh, may ever encounter this, always make sure you've got somebody with a car in good operation. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's another writer that I've seen a lot of crazy stuff come out. And like, I've actually seen several that say I am to be picked up in a car. Like, it, like some people have gone to say like with no visible rust, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, because I mean, and, and it sounds pretentious, but I mean, some people just, they don't want to be getting a lift from the airport from your local meth dealer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I used to hate stuff like that. Like I used to like, come on, get over yourself. I used to, you know, kind of have that approach, but yeah, yeah. I've softened on that a little bit because I get that, like, sometimes these people, like, depending on who it is, they're touring for right. weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks in a row, right. you know, sometimes doing double duty and, yep. and like, playing like for hours at a time. And, I, like, that's really hard to maintain, and I don't think most people really know that or think about right. how grueling that like, is. Like, it doesn't have to be a BMW, Mercedes, some high-end, like, you know, uh, uh, 
luxury car. Right. But, but if you're living your entire life like this, you shouldn't have to ride in a Yugo every day <laughs> that's breaking down. And Because the reason that stuff like that pops onto riders is because... Somebody's gotten screwed it, before. It, it's it's the warning label. And they've label. broken it, down it, on the side of the road. It's the, it's the whole warning label mentality. The reason that we have warning labels on things is because some idiot has been it. out there and done it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, back to your point about the way we think about gear, mm-hmm. it, it definitely affects my purchases. Because like I want when I was looking for something to replace my DJM 600, you know, I, I was ready to, to do something different, but rather than go out and get the Nexus 900, I was sitting there, I was like, okay, I, I could get that mixer and be happy with that mixer, but that doesn't really get me next level. And I was at that weird yeah. transitional phase where I was, you know, before then I was all vinyl and Serato DVS and, you know, very, very, very limited CDJ experience. So I was sitting there and I was like, okay, but to go balls to the wall with this, I'm going to need, you know, the two CDJ 2000s. And then I started, you know, I used the passionate DJ CDJ comparison yeah. guide. And I, honestly, even with as well written as that is and as as comprehensive as it is and everything is laid out there, it, it's still daunting to like look at all of these different models. Like you said, the 2000 Nexus and the 900 Nexus, for all intent and purposes, same thing. There's some features missing from one and missing from the other, and you know, yeah. but there's a lot of crossover there. And Side note, I'm going to be updating that very soon to, to help make that a little easier to decipher because yeah, I think yeah. I, it is really hard to be like, why should I pick one over the other? Right. Even like Pioneer's site doesn't really do right, a good job. Not at all. Either. So, yeah, no, so, and, and eventually what I had to do is I had to come to my own realization that, okay, I, I am replacing this gear and I am looking to update my skill set so that I can walk into any club, rave, what you know venue whatever and be able to competently play on whatever you give me you know i mean thinking about it too in 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 past club tents the clubs back in the day had one dj from nine to two thirty right it wasn't about you know four or five people on a lineup Mm -hmm. it was about one person you know which was your um your resident dj yeah you know now Again, you put three and four people in a lineup, and more than likely three or four setups. Yeah, yeah. You know, so back then too, it was industry standard. Obviously, was the twelve hundreds and a you know whatever kind of mixer. You know, what they're whatever it was, whatever the club had. But the way that you you know dropped the music, played the music were turntables. You know, one person. Now it's three and four, and you have to worry about three and four different setups, like I said. But yeah. So I mean, but. That's that's why I ended up going with the SZ because as hardcore of a Serato user as I've always been, that was the next evolution for me. Plus, for all intent and purposes, that is a condensed version of two CDJs and a, and a DJM mixer. So I don't regret that purchase at all. That's That's been great and it translates me. well to the industry setup. Right. Therefore, it affects the way you buy gear. Yeah, <laughs> and... and, and you know, so I, I I don't I still wouldn't bring it out to us to a club though, like or yeah. or or any gig for that matter. You know, I just I bought that for my studio so that I could learn how to play anywhere else. Um, 
but you know, I would still love to do the whole two thousand, you know, two thousand and and nine hundred nexus setup. setup at home, but that's just a, it's a lot of scratch. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's another thing for me. Like I, so I'm I'm in love with like the idea of having the MP2015 rotary mixer. <laughs> right, you've mentioned this one before, but it's like a billion dollars, right? Like I have no business buying it. <laughs> but I'm like, if I'm going to drop that much scratch on one piece of gear, right. it almost, like, there's a part of me that's like, you should get a, a Nexus 2, a 900 Nexus 2 with that money because Dayton might need it. <laughs> right, and, right. And which is weird because then I stop myself and say, but I don't lend out gear. So why does that matter? Like, well, I lend out gear to Tony and Mike, two people in town, and that's it. Right. Well, and that's the thing. Because about we all that. work together, but I don't, I don't rent it out. So, and that, so like, Mr. Shifter and I, and I were just talking about this the other day. Like, that's the only way I would justify that purchase is, yeah. um, if I went out and, you know, spent, you know, I don't know what, anywhere between six and 10 grand, depending on how many CDJs you buy, you know, in the, in the Nexus two stuff as of, uh, as of this broadcast, you know, all of that gear is roughly $2,000 per piece. And, you know, so by the time you, you figure all that in, you know, yeah, that'd be a great setup to have at home, but I just spent six to 10 grand yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I would want to try to recoup some of that. So then we were both saying, yeah, that would be awesome if you could rent it out, you know, for, you know, this gig, that gig, this gig, that gig. But then it becomes a piece of rental property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and, and as we all know, you know, not every DJ treats the other DJ's yeah. equipment, you know, the same, you know. I, me personally speaking, I've had gear totally ruined at shows before. You know, I, I had, um, on one of my turntables, I had to have the ground wire re-solder, I had to re-solder a new ground wire because the DJ, or at one point, the, the wire was too short anyway. Like, for whatever reason, it got cut too short or something. So it was the third turntable on a setup mm, on the outside stretched. and it was and it was turned yep. battle style and said dj gets on stage and doesn't like it battle style so they turn it this way and rips and instead of it ripping from the the mixer side it ripped out of the turntable side mm. yep so ground wire gone you know like when the uh <laughs> the, the first iteration of the the control s4 came out very first one, which some of our very young or very new DJs might not really realize. Like the S4 was was a bit of a game changer when it came out because right. it uh, controllers weren't were not being taken seriously yet, and the S4 came out and and it's kind of looked back as now it's almost like it not low end, but it's kind of a mid range controller nowadays. Mm-hmm. But it was it was flagship in the day when it first came out. Like nothing right. had really came out that had that kind of build and worked with tractor in that way and had that intuitive interface and stuff. And so I was like, I gotta check this out. You know, so I bought one. It was 2011, I think. I brought it to my first gig that I played out with it. It was like a an art show. And my friend's girlfriend spent spilled an entire um, glass of wine, oh. red wine, dumped it right in there, and it was never this. I I played on that thing for a couple of years 
but it was never quite the same. <laughs> so yeah, and that was just me playing on it, nobody else, right. you know. And right. It's just having it in that environment is is scary. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, you know, conversely, I I thought about getting a pair of um, uh, XDJ one thousands because I'm like, okay, that's kind of a cool in between. I don't have to spend for the the full two thousand Nexus setup, right. but I could put this on either side of my uh, you know my S eight. Right and right. kind of have a CDJ ish setup. Yep. But I'm like, but do I really need that from ho- for home? Not really. If I'm gonna have it to use out, I'm gonna need the 2000s anyway. Exactly. Like that's that. It's, I that, hate that I think that way, but I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, and it comes back to that exact point, and and you know, coming back to the point that this article seems to be trying to drive into our into our brains that you know while collectively you know the last what 10 years maybe not maybe not that long seven eight especially uh, for sure that the whole controller game has really tried to buck that whole industry standard thing but this this conversation just proves that is not an easy thing to get out of your head i still look at a technique 1200 of any model or bark and look at that. That's a fucking Cadillac, man. Or, you know, that that is the tool of the trade for me. Like, because that's what I learned on. It's been around since the late 70s, early 80s. Like that. And almost all of them still work the same way they did on Absolutely. day one. So it's hard to argue with them. Absolutely. And they take a beating. I've got, I've got, you know, friends' stories of, you know, Basement got flooded, you know, three feet, four feet deep, and the turntable was on the floor. I just, you know, let it, you know, turn it upside down and let it, let you it know, dry out. Yeah, let it, <laughs> let it Put dry out. Big bag of rice or something. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but you know, it, it that whole industry standard thing, like that's what this seems to be trying to reinforce. And I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea. You know, like a lot of the things we talk about, it's not a bad idea to have a set of CDJ 2000s and a 900 and be able to competently bring your thumb drive or your laptop and a USB cord and, you know, just plug in and, and be able to still do your thing. But at the same time, the way this is kind of worded, it, it is. It's a little mm-hmm. pretentious in saying, you know, keep your toys at home, kids. Right. You know? like, well... <laughs> So it, it continues here. Main stage sets at large venues are seen as a place for professionals from the opener to the closer. So when you get the opportunity to DJ one of those venues, step it up and blow people away. So it, to be fair, it sounds like they're talking about, hey, w- when you're playing, when you get a chance at the big boy chair, right, right. And, here's and to the be, situation, yeah, which there be might fair. be some merit to. Well, when you get a chance to, to play that stage, though, you're at the point where you can say, I'm playing right. on this. Okay, right. it doesn't I've got matter. to read the next paragraph now that you said that. <laughs> okay, So cool. it says, of course, you can argue that some major DJs in the world use controllers or other setups, and yes, some do. Zed is notoriously known for loving to use his Tractor S4. Why can he get away with that and still be a professional that's getting paid huge amounts of money to play all over the world? Because he's Zed. He's had numerous international hits, and he can do whatever he wants. But if you're not as massive as an inter- international sensation like Zed and want to start getting paid more for your DJ sets and play on larger stages, what should you do? Learn how to use CDJs. I will, I will, I will have to disagree because if you're on that stage, 
then you are also an international producer. Yeah, you're calling with many of hits, and you're able to ask for whatever you want. So here's an interesting point. Since we're approaching it from that angle, a city like Dayton or Cincinnati or Columbus or Indianapolis or you know anywhere that's not Chicago, New York, you know, L.A., LA Miami, yeah, yeah. Um, we we like to think about how technology has lowered the barrier of entry from a DJ perspective. Yep. But I've never really thought about how it has affected local scenes. Like, I wonder if Dayton could not be having the renaissance it's having right now if it weren't for cheap controllers and free software and MP3. Because now at least... You know, where where we tried to pick up the scraps from what was left before and, and rebuild a scene, there's a lot more people willing to participate because they have they were able to afford a, a control S two or whatever it is. Right. Whereas somebody, you know, before would have to save up for the full shebang and you know, the text and the whole thing. Oh yeah. So we might have to take the good with the bad here and realize that maybe, you know, a place like Dayton couldn't be doing what it's doing right now if it weren't for that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And 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 in taking the good with the bad, that means you also take a lot of bad DJs yeah. with the good ones, regardless of what they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not knocking anybody out there. I mean, just there's there are varying levels of caliber of talent and some of that is just how much time that, you know, some people have put into it and other people just can't tap their feet four times. You know, it just, it just is what it is. But because of that lower barrier of entry and, and more intuitive hardware and software, it's, it's keeping people interested longer, I think, you know, if somebody goes out and buys, you know, a, a cheaper controller and hooks up their laptop and then now they're starting to buy all this music that when we started, you know, that was 10, 12 bucks a pop for a record that had maybe two or three songs on it, you know, yeah. like, and of those two or three, one was probably a chill out mix, <laughs> you, know, just, you know, but um, now, you know, tracks are, you know, a buck or two a piece. Um, and you can, uh, and, and honestly, a lot of people, which, you know, as a producer irks the living crap out of me, but a lot of people, you know, will just go out and, you know, download stuff, you know, for free from torrent sites or whatever. And all of that stuff. I mean, it's, and, and as a producer, it's not even that I make that much money off of, off of downloads. I mean, we've talked about, I think we've talked about it before where, you know, the download game is kind of dead, yeah. you know, but um, that's a whole other topic. But At you least know, as a money-making, as income. As a, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But it's still the principle that, you know, me as a DJ, I still buy every track that I'm going to play out if yeah. I didn't make it myself, you know, and that's, and so that's that. But when we're talking about this, you know, to be a DJ – you know, you can do it on a, you can be a baller on a budget. Absolutely. And do a lot, you can do a lot more today on that budget than we did 15 years ago with all the high-end equipment of that day. Or you cannot. <laughs> right. Which is the problem, you <laughs> right, know. Right, 
I mean, nobody really considered Skrillex a rookie. You know, he used to bring out his laptop with Ableton, and I believe it was just a Novation launch pad. Yeah, I, 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 like a very, very small controller on his laptop. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's still putting 1,500 people in a room. So I've seen Kevin Saunderson play with an S4. I've seen Carl Cox play with an S8. I've seen, yeah, I mean, it's 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 more of a thing now, and I, I wonder... If that mentality isn't just going to change over time, right. you know, this is just how it is now. I'm sure it will. People hated on me in 2004 when I played with a laptop. They said I was cheating and I was using Final Scratch, you yeah. know. Well, and I don't know how much they're saying about whether it's cheating or if it's just annoying to have to set it up, but it is what it is now. I mean, we, <laughs> we're not really going to turn the clock back on that. Right. Well, you know, and, and everybody's me, got their own thing now. And, and, the other side of this is you kind of have to, if you want to stand out, you might want to ha- bring something else to the table. And, you know, for instance, there's stuff that I can do on my S8 that I just can't do on a CDJ setup. Right, right. Um, not or saying that, that I'm doing anything groundbreaking, but, you know. It's, right, or that you could. You just may not know how to do it or or that. Well, like, for instance, I can't use remix decks on a CDJ 2000. Okay, for example, so if I if if I'm heavily reliant on that for my sound, you know, if I'm doing kind of a live remix set and that's the tool that I typically use, mm-hmm. then it might be a problem to go to that. Sure, sure. And so, if people are doing different things like that to stand out nowadays, and if somebody has something going for them, they aren't necessarily going to want to play. It's not that they can't or they don't know how or they can't beat match or whatever they think the problem is. It might just be that hey. For my show, this is what I use. Or my, you know, I use Ableton because I, you know, the more live you get, the more this is going to happen. Right. So, what do you think the takeaway is from all this? Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell people to to alter their buying decisions because of this. Because the fact of the matter is, first of all, this is only relevant to a select few of us, right? Because most people are. You know, we're we're kind of playing local town shows, and this, this comes up occasionally, right, right? right? So, for the touring type DJ who's doing this as this is their full time gig, um, that's for them to hash out. But they kind of have some say in the matter at that point, right? So, I say use whatever works for you, whatever makes sense in your scenario, and and I mean if you're if you're really like really rogue in this, and you're if you you live somewhere like uh, I don't know, just in the middle of the country somewhere, and you drive into town into your local city, and you're the only guy doing this, and you've got twenty people that follow you around, you know, this conversation doesn't even apply to you. Right, so right. get whatever you want that works for you and is portable, and you know. But if you're Starting to look, you know, you live in Chicago and there's, you know, you have opportunities to play at places and this is the only way you can do it. Well, that's going to change your mind a little bit. Right. So, you know, obviously it's going to, it's going to be case by case. And I, for me, I think it's as with most things that we talk about, you know, I, I think what it boils down to is another tool for the job. You know, it, it, it's not going to hurt anybody to know the layout and to be able to say, yeah, I can, I can play on that, you know, carry a thumb drive with your, with your, you know, latest crate, you know, of, of, you know, new music or, or your favorite stuff to do or whatever. But, 
to be able to walk in and plug in your thumb drive and play on that if that's what you're limited to, well, then fine. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't change my buying habit either if I was somebody else that didn't already have the preconceived notions yeah. rammed into my brain that I do, you know, so it's just... The uh, other thing I toss in on conversations like this is also just buy whatever you want because, like, I you know, I could sit here and say all day, like, you don't need a full pioneer setup to do what we do. You don't need to spend $6,000 and stuff. That's right. Especially if you're just like the random one-off guy that isn't close to a big city and you have to do everything yourself. You don't need all that. Right. But if you want it and you've got the disposable income, buy it. You right. know, whatever makes you we all like toys. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk smack either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh that's 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 how I would look at it too. I mean, because a lot of people may not even like that setup, you know? Yeah. So yeah, definitely get what you want, but be, if you're going to be a professional DJ, we'll be able to competently play on whatever any given gig might throw you. Cause not every gig is the same. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had some, yeah. some nightmare gigs. Like I said, where you show up and it's a couple of old belt driven <laughs> tables <laughs> and you know, an old radio shack mixer where the, you know, channelist staying good, staying good communication with the promoter. You know, that's that's or what is expected for the what show. What is expected for the show? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I I I, it's annoying. Yes, it's it's a little extra work, but if you you know, it's like anything else. If you pre-plan and you organize and you know you're you're you expect it, then you're it's whatever. Yep. You know? Learn how to communicate. Yeah, it's it's. Any any local band that plays locally, they go up on stage. They take their own equipment, you know. So, right. DJ, I feel same same difference. Just know and get there beforehand. Do your sound check. Do all that beforehand. You know, you all you gotta do is step up and go. Hey, screw you, destroyed. Right. <laughs> you guys are gonna use CDJs and a mixer. Put your little fancy <laughs> effect guitars away. No, I had to. I had to do that at this show though. <laughs> kind of, but not so much because mask. I mean, it's the booth; it's the area that we had right. to work with. Yeah. You know? Yep, yep. We didn't have room for four controllers. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap that up for this episode. Uh, what do we want for call to action this time? Let's do SoundCloud. So, if you're not already following Passionate DJ on SoundCloud, you can hit us up on SoundCloud.com/slash Passionate DJ. If you are following SoundCloud. Find one of your favorite episodes, whether that's this one or a previous one, and hit that repost button. We would love for uh, you guys to spread the love and help us out. So we will see you on the next episode of the Passion DJ Podcast. Take care. Later. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. recording the intro to this episode my cat came up to me and started meowing and i was going to use that as the blooper for this episode but then i deleted it so meow <laughs>